0: Good morning, church. Please rise for the reading of the word. Today's passage is Psalm 80, 1 through 7, and 17 through 13. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, O Lord Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The Son of Man who you have raised up for yourself, when we then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lacey, for the reading. Good morning, everybody. We are gonna jump into this wonderful psalm in just a moment. Uh, being that it's the first Sunday in December, uh, first Sunday of Advent, first Sunday of December. We have communion that we get to receive, all wonderful things. It's also the final month of the calendar year, and so I want to do a quick check-in financially where the church is at and where the needs are moving forward. If you've been around here for some time, you know that the bulk of the giving tends to happen in December. That's the good way to say it, uh, encouraging way to say it. The scary way to say it is it's usually a big number, uh, that we're facing down coming into December, and so want to share things. I mean, there it, it is a lot of good because it's you guys are also generous. So anyway, let me let me give you a little sense of just where we're at financially and where we need to go, kind of in this final month. So yeah, if you go to the next one, Sergio. So this is the overall annual budget for us. This number six fifty six seven hundred six twenty. Very thankful for the finance team that keeps us um, totally locked in on that, and we're. Yeah. We're in the process right now i mean we're going through everything with financing i shouldn't say we they on our behalf are going through internet saying how much is internet and can we shave ten dollars a month off of that how much is the fees for this can we shave? we're going through everything so what we brought in so far um which is incredibly generous 474 86963 sorry it looks like i'm yeah i know that's fantastic it's incredibly generous sorry it looks like i, I thought i swear i had the formatting on that right but i didn't so Um, forgive me for messing up the formatting. Anyway, the the big number for what we have to bring in the rest of the year, and it is a big number, $181,836.57. All right, so um, it's a gigantic number on one hand and a scary number a little bit, but it's not, I guess again, good news, it's not unprecedented for us to have been facing down. And our our lowest here today And uh, our lowest part of staff for a long time with River City while also leading Breakthrough Urban Ministries and they used to use a phrase that I felt like we were too young to use. They used to use a phrase at Breakthrough saying we have a history with God here and they would use that when it felt like there was a big gap and it wasn't clear how it was going to come in before the end of the year but they would, they would lean on that and say we have a history with God and we were like Six years old as a church, I'm like, we have a little history with God, but I don't know if I can quite. But, hey, we're 20 years old now, and we've done this 20 times, um, and so that's a big number, but I'm, I'm going to start using that for, we have a history with God here, <laughs> and uh, I'm trusting in that. And just as a, I know you pick, you pick up on it, but when you look at that, where that budget number comes from, again, I don't want to compare us to other churches, that's not the point, but to, to, to focus on one of the things that makes us really unique is the way we use the money here um we're we're not building big sanctuaries we're not building big things for ourselves it is almost entirely focused on living out this mission together being a community but also being a place-based presence of the kingdom of god here in this community and organizing for material spiritual emotional physical need right i was uh i grew up in church I wasn't thinking of it through necessarily a community development lens, but I actually have memories from very early on sitting in church sanctuaries, and even as a very young guy, thinking this church sanctuaries are really inefficient spaces. Um, You know, like most of the energy into where we're at right now, most of the energy in a typical church goes into how to cultivate the space for corporate communal gatherings, which I don't actually want to dismiss. I really do believe strongly that what we're doing right now has incredible spiritual potential being together. So it's not about demeaning that. But remember even from early ongoing like, what a waste. Monday through Saturday, this big old space just sits empty. Right? It's organized exclusively for a communal gathering. Maybe a midweek service too, if if you're big enough to pull that off. Um, you know, maybe in a middle class suburb, it's no big deal to just leave that space unoccupied all the time. Maybe in a rural setting it's not a big deal. But man, in a neighborhood like ours where there's so much need and just need for physical safe space. Physical safe space, physical space where kids and young people can come and be safe, uh, be protected, be loved, be nurtured. So I know most of you don't get to be in here Monday through Saturday, maybe a couple times if you come through. But I just hope you can remember that this place is buzzing every single day of this week. This room is buzzing every single day of the week with kids and kids and kids and teens and teens and teens. And teens. And uh, you're part of that because of helping make this happen. So that's why we do what we do. You know, it's like nobody's getting big salaries off of this. There's no big deal. Right. The, exactly what comes in is going right into kind of carrying out this mission. So that that's our big push over the month of December. Sound good? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, I thought Benjamin did an amazing job. Kind of, uh, he said he wasn't preaching today, but he did a good little mini sermon on Avin. On so I won't recover all that. That's it that's that that was that was great oh, i guess if you're listening on podcast you're going have to go find this on the youtube and listen to what he had said anyway um, advent comes from that term as he mentioned arrival coming moving towards or some of the different ways and so there's this church calendar that goes throughout the course of the year some of you grew up around that you're familiar with that some of you had no exposure to that that was me i was i was never in church environments that follow the church calendar so advent is what starts off the church calendar so We're in this like funny crisscross, like in our world, December is the end of the year and all the franticness around that, right? In the church calendar, we're actually at New Year's Year's Day right now, right? Advent is what starts the church calendar. And I think it makes sense that Advent starts the church calendar because the story of God is essentially this love story between God and human beings, right? God says God has created us in God's image to experience God's love, to be in union with God, to live in participation with God. Us and our brokenness, us and our sin, us and our rebellion continue to push away from that. God and God's love continues to come after us, or this language of Advent, to move towards us. So it would make sense that the church calendar, as it's following throughout the course of the year, telling the story of God, it would begin with the most dramatic, the most over the top, the most extravagant form of God showing up in the person of Jesus to demonstrate God's love, Right? And so I want us to remember that as we are in these four weeks of Advent, and remember that as we go into these different passages, the reason we're in Psalm 80 today, we'll follow the liturgical calendar here for the month of December. We'll use the lectionary as assigned passages, so when we read Psalm 80, that's the Psalm selection. When we read that today, as Lacey read that, I just always think it's cool to remember that on this day, like physically this Sunday in December of 2023, there's people all over the globe right now who are studying this Psalm together and thinking about what is it that this psalm tells us about Ebbet? What is it that this psalm reminds us about, about the, the movement of God towards us? How is this psalm connected to this larger story of remembering the choreographed entrance of God through Jesus Christ to us? And so when you look at that psalm, Psalm 80, this is one of those, one of the ways you can get to the meaning of something, if, it's, if it happens to be there, is when something gets repeated over and over and over in a passage, And so in this psalm, we see that something is repeated over and over and over, so it's going to make it real easy where we're going with this one. I have only one hope for us today, that we're going to interact with this. Did you see what line came up three different times? And that's the way this passage is organized, is um, those first eight verses that we read and then the final two. Did you see what line was said three different times in that psalm? It's in verse 3, it's in verse 7, it's in verse 19. In fact, oh, you got it up there, Sergio, right? So let's, let's, let's read the verse 19 one. It's the exact same language used all three times. Let's read that together. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Did you see that in there three times? Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. My one and only hope today is that you will interact with that phrase, may the f- make your face shine on us or this, this imagery of seeing and encountering God face-to-face, I'm hoping, hey, here's, here's a big hope for 10 to 15 minutes, I'm hoping that you never again read that phrase without feeling this kind of scintillating feeling that goes through you. And that's actually how far I want to go in ten, in 10 minutes here. I'm hoping if it doesn't already do that to you, that this thing will just charge you when you see that phrase because you remember what it is that God is inviting you to. I, kind of the image I had as I was reflecting on this, and this is what I hope we'll do right now. I almost said God is a parent and us as a child saying, come here, I want, to, I want to walk you into what this phrase represents and how significant it is. I think it's a great way to think of Advent. I think it is a great way to prepare for the Lord's Supper. It is a phrase we should take with us all the time. So, Here's how I'd like to start that. Now, to some degree, you don't have to be any kind of a biblical scholar or theologian to kind of get a sense of what that language face to face means, right? We're <laughs> we're the COVID generation, right? We're the Zoom generation. We've kind of experienced this, uh, right? Like the the inability to be in each other's presence for so long during COVID, right? I mean, that kind of formed all of us in a certain kind of a way. And while I'm actually glad for Zoom and the ability to be able to have meetings when you're not face to face, we all very quickly got to that point of fatigue, right? Where Seeing somebody on a screen is just not the same as being face-to-face with somebody, right? There's just, we have a new appreciation for what comes when you're face-to-face with someone. Even the like face mask thing, again, I also am very glad for that and the health precautions that, but didn't we learn, didn't we learn that even having access to only half of somebody's face really does impact interactions, doesn't it? When you can't see the bottom part of somebody's face, when you can't see them smile or, or grin or frown or whatever they're doing, it really impacts you to, not be able to see somebody face-to-face, or to say positively, when you experience somebody face-to-face, it's got its own kind of interaction, right? So interestingly, and I don't know if you've ever picked up, it's it's just, it's over and over and over throughout the Bible, one of the most consistent ways the Bible talks about communion with God is through this image of experiencing God face-to-face, or seeing God's face, or God's face shining upon you, it goes back and forth. And so I was, I I found, I I meditated on over 70 just in the Old Testament passages to talk about face-to-face. I'm just going to share three, um, because here's here's what I want to do, just give you a sense of the imagery, particularly in the Old Testament, because what I want us to see is how Jesus coming in the form of a human being is in a lot of ways a fulfillment of something that the Old Testament people were wrestling with. So so here's a mystery that the people in the Old Testament had to continually hold together, a, a, a tension of sorts. The part of God that was more that they could very easily understand was that God was, I'm going to use all these as synonyms majestic, full of splendor, holy. Uh, but there was this sense that when God's presence came near, you understood you were having some kind of a sacred encounter, right? So you get um, something like the God coming at Mount Sinai, and there's like thunder and smoke and lightning, and people say, Moses, just you go, you go talk to God. This is like, we're too scared to be able to even approach God's presence. Or you'd have the tabernacle, which became the temple, in to be able, which is where God's presence, by God's glory, resided. And if people would come to that, there was all these procedures for cleanliness. And then in the Holy of Holies, only high priests could go in there. And then even there, it was only once a year. So there was like a lot of familiarity and understanding with the sense that God is bigger than us, holy, majestic, splendor, glory. What was the mystery is that at the same time God would consistently also say that God's desire was to be an intimate connection with people. Now that part was harder to understand. In the language of face to face is how God would say that, and so they had to like live with this mystery, this paradox that God is holy and majestic and splendid and glory and you know there has to be the sacredness with this also accessibility, this personability. All right, so let me just show you a handful of passages. In the Old Testament, where we see this language of the face of God and the way that it kind of points to this mysterious interplay. So um, uh, let's start with um, uh, Genesis 32. Um, Thanks, Sergio. Okay, so we actually, if you were here, we did this passage a few weeks ago in the series Questions God Asks. But this is a famous account with Jacob wrestling with God. This is the birth of the nation of Israel. Um, And this language of face to face is like dripping from this. So at the end of this encounter, it says, Jacob after he had wrestled with God, Jacob named this place Peniel, which actually literally means the place I've seen God. Jacob named the place Peniel for he said, I have seen God, here's the the phrase, face to face, yet my life has been preserved. All right, so you see kind of the interplay, this sense that, so Jacob is celebrating that Jacob saw God face to face and it was in the form of wrestling with this person, but Jacob kind of assumed that when he saw face to face, he wouldn't survive it. So it's like this cool thing, I've seen God face to face, yet my life was preserved. That's kind of this interplay. Let's go to on another one. This is the most famous benediction historically from the Bible, taken from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. But let's think of it through this language of face-to-face. God says to Moses, tell Aaron and Aaron's sons, here's how you were to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, and here it is, may the Lord make his face shine upon you to be gracious to you. May the Lord, and it says a slightly different way now, says, may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. All right, now I'm just, we, we're going to finish with this benediction today, and I hope that it like carries like a new level of meaning to you when you hear it today of like asking the, asking at first, like what is, what is this blessing we're even hearing when we hear that? And then how do we actually receive that blessing? All right, one more. Again, I think this kind of gets to the inner place. It's almost a little bit humorous, but this comes from Deuteronomy as Moses is kind of reminding them of the covenant God has made with them. Uh, It says, Moses summoned all of Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare to you in your hearing today. Learn these decrees. Be sure to follow them. The Lord God made a covenant with us at Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. It was not with our ancestors the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. And then just this final line. Yahweh God spoke to you face to face. The Lord God spoke to you face to face (laughs) out of the fire of the mountain." Now, that's where I think it's actually kind of funny. I don't know why this makes me laugh, but I think it's kind of hilarious that Moses is saying, you guys know this, right? God speaks to you face-to-face. You can have this interpersonal, deep, connected relationship with God. He just always happens to mention, obviously that's what was happening when the fire was going off at Mount Sinai, when there was lightning and thunder and smoke and cloud, and you were all running. God was talking to you face-to-face. Right? Do you think any of them actually felt like That was a face-to-face, intimate encounter. Like when we think of a face-to-face encounter, you do I, we don't usually think of fire and smoke and lightning billowing, right? So I don't know why. That's got kind of something funny to me where Moses is like, you know, this is what's true. God has made this covenant. God wants you to know that you can see God's face and to see God face-to-face just like he did through the fire at Mount Sinai. I, I share all these. There's actually like just in the Psalms alone, there's like 15 cool like Psalms that talk about different psalmists that want to interact with God face-to-face. Uh, what, what I'm just doing, highlighting those, is showing how this is a dominant theme throughout the Old Testament, this notion that God wants to experience this interaction, this relationship with people face-to-face, but also just this, honestly, just this mystery, this confusion. How can we experience God face-to-face when we don't even know that we can be in the presence of God, that there's all these, there's all these requirements for how somebody interacts with God, in the temple and the tabernacle, how can we how can we possibly trust that we can interact with God in a face to face manner? All right. So if you've got a thousand years of that plus of that, knowing that someday God is going to make it clear how that works, this starts to become a key part to way how we think of Advent, a key part to how we think of the Christmas story, because through Jesus, I mean, it's it. There's a hundred reasons why it's so significant that God came into the human experience in the form, you know, sent as Jesus Christ. But now let's go to the Christmas imagery here to like really try to land this. It's It would feel so different if God entered into the human experience already as an adult. All right? I mean, God could have done that and just showed up as full-grown Jesus. Um, that would have been one thing. But Jesus comes as a baby. We all know this, right? It's what every nativity scene is built around. But now I want you to consider that the significance of God coming as a baby in light of this developing storyline of God wanting to see us face to face and us seeing God's face and God's looking at us, shining God's face upon us. If you're wrestling for a thousand years of understanding how can that happen, what an unexpected and fascinating twist in the story for God to show the most punctuated form of trusting that we can see God's face by not only entering the human experience, which is a big deal in of itself, but coming as a baby. Right? Can you start to see how this Opens the door to seeing face to face in a whole new way. Uh, let's just get like super practical here, right? Like there's something about like if you're a full grown adult and you see a baby, a little baby, right? We've got some little babies in here today, right? If you see a little baby, even in ways that you can't control, a little baby opens things up in you, right? That it's it just it's not even a conscious choice. It's just it's just the nature of a little vulnerable, beautiful, newborn baby, it just opens up something in you that you can't always get to on your own, right? <laughs> seeing saying a couple months ago, I was doing a fundraising kind of meal at a, at a restaurant with a guy who, just for whatever reason, seemed to be kind of in a crotchety mood that day. And I just was like, I was being charming. It wasn't working. I was telling jokes. It wasn't working. I mean, this guy, this guy was on lockdown, man. I was like, man, this is gonna be a long a long conversation. So I'm, I'm doing everything I can to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, his gaze it finally changes and he starts looking all goofy and making like goofy faces i'm like what the heck is happening here right now like i cannot do anything to break through with this guy right now so i was very unnerved by it because it's like he went from like completely cold unapproachable to like making goofy faces and then i finally figured out he's not quite looking at me he's looking over me and finally turned around you can probably expect predict what had happened right there was like a little one-year-old who was popping over the booth behind us and making faces at him and this guy, who I could not make any movement with whatsoever, like he was just locking me out. When that little baby, when that little kid started p- popping its face over and like making, he he started doing that like that like thing we can't stop getting. You know, he started getting all goofy, like you know. And he like went full fledged all the way there. I was like, okay, new strategy. Next time, me with this guy, I'm bring bring a baby with me, just get things warmed up right off right off the bat. But I feel like that really is telling, right? Like even the most hard hearted person, when you get around a baby, it just. It's going to come around all the defenses, right? Or kind of a very different kind of state of being for somebody who feels very insecure and is kind of always self-conscious around other adults, right? You watch them with a baby and it's so different, right? When you're with a little baby, you know, I'm not being evaluated right now. I'm not being judged right now. I'm not being compared to other people. Like we're just having this interaction, just me and this little baby, right? There's something about a baby that opens things up inside of us. So here's what I'd like to suggest, this imagery of experiencing God face-to-face. Now, this goes in both directions, right? Because there's an element spiritually of us looking into the face of God, and then there's an element of God's face shining down upon us. It's not one or the other. It's it's speaking to two different directions. So I think, this is my kind of conviction of it, I think God coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus has a double meaning when it comes to experiencing God face-to-face. I think on one hand, let us think of us looking into the face of God, something that feels so mysterious, so elusive, even for us. But imagine being in the Old Testament where right, we see, we see these, these images of people not knowing if they can look at the face of God. When God comes in a ba- as the form of a baby, it allows human beings to confidently and comprehensively look into the face of God. Right, Because when I mean you think of the Christmas story, the two big groups that come, there's the angel that comes to the shepherds and calls them to see baby Jesus. You see the magi that are coming from most likely Babylon who travel hundreds and hundreds of miles. So they follow the star that probably Daniel told them about in his writings years and years before. As these two groups converge, when they finally come to baby Jesus, some of what's so sacred is not just that God has entered into the flesh, but that God is a baby. That when they look into the eyes of that baby, they're looking into the face of God. They're, the mystery's been cracked, so to speak, right? The, the door has been opened. They know that they can confidently look into the eyes of God by looking at a baby. And they're not worried about being struck by lightning or coming unclean or doing it all wrong. They just know that when they're in the presence of that little baby, they're in the presence of God. In the fact that God comes as a baby, it, you know, it, it probably doesn't... For sure, take away every fear we have, because some of us still have stuff we have to deal with, but it's kind of designed to do that, to address our insecurities, to address our fears, to address our hard-heartedness, to address our cynicism. The notion of looking into the face of God, a starting point of that being that it's a baby, who will, of course, grow up and continue to show us what God looks like. But the starting point, the fact that God enters as a baby, I think this is one direction of face-to-face that the Bible is opening up, where it says, if the question is, can I trust that I can look into the face of God, Jesus coming as baby, the answer is definitively, yes, you can. right? Who can't look into the eyes of a baby and feel something? That is the pathway. That is the, the doorway that gets open for how we can look into the eyes of God. But it goes the other way too. And again, it's not one or the other. It's both. Um, if we go back to that phrase, in, and you don't have to bring it up, Sergio, but if we go back to that phrase in Psalm 80 that came up three times, When the psalmist says, Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Right? This language, this language in the Old Testament of writers, it's 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 in the Pentateuch, it's in the prophets, in the psalmist, it's in the wisdom literature, it's 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 all throughout. You consistently get people saying, God, will you shine your face upon us? All right, now. I, want you to, I just want you to think about this for a moment. When you read a phrase like that in the Old Testament, you hear an Old Testament writer say, God, please shine your face upon us. What, what do you think that they were asking? Like, How would they even know if God's face is shining upon them? And if we come to now, if we join in this prayer that the psalmist prays and that so many do, make your face shine upon us, what exactly are we even hoping for? right? If God actually answered that prayer, that God's face was shining upon us, how do we even know if it was happening? Yeah, I want you, right, when we hear that beautiful benediction in Numbers that we'll finish with, you know, may, may, the, may the face of the Lord shine upon you, if that actually happens, how would we know it's happening? I believe the Christmas story shows us that it's actually more simple and elegant than we probably think of it as. In the same way that a baby kind of opens up the ability for us to look at the face of God, this is the best human equivalent we have for, as a gift from God to know what it feels like for the face of God to shine upon you. And here it is. It's the same thing. The best human proxy we have for this is when you see in the human realm a loving parent doting on a little baby. When you see that, you have the closest human proxy there is for God's face shining upon you. In the same way that God, who now, of course, Jesus is going to teach us over and over again, that the primary way to think of God is as a loving parent. When we think of baby Jesus and we think of how the divine, not only Mary and Joseph in the natural, but how the divine parent looks at baby Jesus, that love, that affection, that joy, that delight, the delight that the divine parental God has for baby Jesus is what the face of God shining upon you looks like. It is not meant to be any more, uh, uh, let me say it a different way, we can treat it as something that's more elusive than it's meant to be. When we pray, may the face of God shine upon us, we are praying that there will be an experience where we sense the divine God looking upon us in the same way a parent would look on a little baby. In fact, I, I, this is me now. This is not exactly how it says it, but I believe this is true. I think it's even meant to be something, like I think it should be a little tiny positive trigger. Every time you see a loving parent dote on a little baby, I think in that moment, we should make the connection and say, oh, that's what it feels like when the face of God shines upon me. Like what that parent is doing is what God does, and what that little baby is doing is what actually I'm supposed to do. The gift, like, that, the, and for that little baby, it's they don't even know the world good enough to know that that's like not something that they deserve, <laughs> that they're, that's not something that they're entitled to. But every time we see a loving parent shine their face upon a little baby, I think that should be a little spiritual cue. Say, see, that's the blessing. That's the blessing right there. When you pray, when the psalmist prays, God, make your face a sh- shine upon us, it's that we can be reminded. Benjamin said this so clearly during, during prayer and praise that it's not about do's and don'ts so much as a shift in our identity, right? That when, when we see a loving parent just express unadulterated joy, joy that is not based on what the kid has done or not done, not based on what college the kid will or won't go to, not about how this day has gone or not gone, just unadulterated joy for who that little baby is, I think that is meant to be a cue. That's what it feels like when the face of God shines upon us. And that is why I think this psalm is attached to the first week of our Advent readings because it, like a hundred times in the Old Testament, is talking about the desire that God's face would shine upon them, but not exactly sure yet what that looks like or feels like and God eventually and answers that question definitively here's what that feels like to look at the face of God look into the face look into the face of a baby and you'll know how accessible i am how present i am how much joy there is and then turn the camera around the other side and watch a parent love a little baby and you will get a glimpse you will get a sense of what it means to have the face of God shine upon and so you know this during Christmas time it is so easy to sentimentalize little baby Jesus it's so easy to trivialize baby Jesus it is so easy to even make it gimmicky baby Jesus but I would like to suggest that among the other meanings that there is when we interact with the image of baby Jesus which is God entering the flesh we are being given the cheat code if I can say it like that to go right to the center of how it is that we experience this biblical cry that's there from beginning to end. You know, even in Revelation 22, actually, do you still have that one? I told you I wasn't going to use it. Do you still have that Revelation 22 one? Let me show you this, this Revelation 22. Um, for, this is the very last chapter of the Bible. Even in the Revelation image, we see this again. Um, when we're renewed, when God comes back, renews all things, we will see God's face, and God's name will be on our foreheads. Which I, I love this. Uh, I had so many verses that I didn't cut because this was going to get too long. But let, let, me, let me finish with this. Let me, let me finish with this one. I'm going to skip the First Corinthians one for now. Let me finish with this one. I love this because um, when, when everything is made right, when, it, when there's no, nothing else standing in between, when there's no more contradictions and insecurities and fears and cynicism and all that, um, when, when things are perfectly right, we are going to see the loving gaze of God looking at us. We are going to see God's face which is so much clarity. And I love the second part. I had to really meditate because it says, and God's name will be on our foreheads. (laughs) And I think what this is getting, I think what John was getting to when he had this vision or what God is getting to when John had this vision is this sense that we always had the love of God on us. From the time we were conceived in our mother's womb, we had got the love of God on us. And we've just been on this journey to figure out that that's what's actually true. Ah, I keep saying no more. One more. Do, do 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sorry, I'm like geeking out on this. But th- th- this is where this image, right? So this is the best passage on love we have in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Like love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love looks out for the best, right? The, the whole passage is so beautiful. And it's face-to-face language that Paul finishes with, right? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when we're fully restored, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So <laughs> Oh, I love so much about this. When when Paul says, even as I have been already fully known, see, this is this is what God is inviting us into. God looking at you in love has already always been true. That's not the part that's evolving. That's not the part that's growing. The part that is growing, and you know, back then they didn't have mirrors like we have mirrors now. So you're looking into like a piece of metal or something. So when he says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Right now we know not part, then we'll know fully. The journey we're on right now is going from seeing God face-to-face partly to seeing God face-to-face fully to trusting and coming to know for ourselves what had always been true, that God's face always has shined upon us, but we didn't know how to receive that as beloved little children, that God's mercies have already been poured on us. We just didn't know how to receive it. And so this is one of my favorite ways to think about the spiritual growth process, even the maturation process. I don't think it's the only way to think about it, but this is such a big part of the spiritual growth and spiritual maturation process is coming to know more fully the experience of having the face of God shine upon you. That right now we see it in part, someday we'll see it in full, but those aren't binaries. It's not like here's this and there. This is the journey moving into deeper and deeper sense of clarity, of what actually has always and already been true. Amen? Amen. We are receiving the gift of communion today, which is a powerful way to both look at God and be seen by God, right? Because in the elements of the bread and the cup, we are reminded that God has seen us and seen the ways we continue to, in our brokenness and sin and rebellion, pull away from the love of God and the efforts that God has made to restore us into that love. And so um, if, if you're a server, if you don't mind coming up and uh, starting to get the uh, elements ready, I want to lead us through a prayer of reflection here to get ourselves ready for this. And then after we pray, once you're ready, you can come up and receive these elements and you'll be reminded the importance of the cup. You'll be reminded of the importance of the bread. You just simply come, if you've not done this before, just simply come and receive it. We'll come back to our seats and um, do a confession and then receive communion together. But let's today, let us, let us reflect on the way that, the act of communion, the, 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 the sacrament of communion is another way in which we look at the face of God and we look at God looking at us. So join me in prayer and then we will step into communion together. Dear God, I'm both aware of like the deep, mysterious spiritualities we're stepping into right now but also aware that you want us to have a sense of confidence and accessibility. So let us start in the deep, mysterious, spiritual parts of this. When we reflect on this language of seeing the face of God, when we reflect on this language of the face of God shining on us, we realize we are finite human beings who are trying to wrap our heads around what it means to have the God of the universe the God who is before and after the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We're trying to wrap our heads around how the God of the universe not only cares about us, not only sees us, not only is attentive, but desires this sense of intimacy where we can trust that this God is looking at us face-to-face and where you, as eternal God, want us to trust that we can step into your presence and see you face-to-face. We're we're talking about the deepest of spiritual mysteries. We are joining with the forefathers and foremothers that have gone before us of trying to understand how this can be true, how this can be possible. But now, God, we come into the concrete application of that as well. That when you entered into the world, you didn't come with a list of commandments, you didn't come with a spectacular firework show, you didn't come looking to exasperate this sense of inaccessibility or the sense of being unworthy or unable to approach. You came as a baby. And guy, if y'all can go with me here for a moment, let's enter the Christmas story. It's, imagine being those shepherds who are trying to understand what it means to see the face of God. Can you try to can you try to join the caravan of magi of astrologers and magicians who traveled hundreds of miles and now step into that small little space where God is in the flesh in the form of a newborn baby. And now imagine God saying, this is what it looks like to enter into space with me. As the shepherds came in and looked into the eyes of that little baby, as the magi came and looked in the eyes of that little baby, That is how God encourages, invites us to trust that we are fully welcome. And then God, we look at it from the other angle, even as the shepherds and the magi are looking in the eyes of that little baby reminding us of how we can look at you. Now let us look from the heavens at the divine God who looks upon that baby Jesus and feels absolute delight feels absolute joy, whose heart is full with affection and love. He would get those words decades later in an adult form, knowing that this is what had always been true. But we just know instinctively what it's like when a parent looks at their little baby with love. And God, can we trust that when you look at us, when your face shines upon us, that's what it feels like. So God, as we get ready to receive these gifts of communion, the bread that represented your flesh, the cup that represented your blood, we see how extravagant not only was your entrance into humankind, but how far you were willing to go to remove every single barrier so that we can know we are saved, we are forgiven, we are made whole in you. So stir our hearts as we get ready to receive these elements. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. And as you're ready, you can go on either side of the room, come up and receive it. Come back to your seats. There'll be elders in the back praying, if you could use some prayer during this time. So let's just enter into this space together. All right, if you're able, can we all stand together? We'll do a corporate confession and then receive this gift. So let us read this confession together. God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves we confess that in our busy and hectic lives we make no time for your coming preparing for the details of our daily lives we forget to prepare for you planning our weeks months and years we lose touch with your divine timing However unexpected, however ordinary, O Lord, give us hearts to sense your presence coming. Give us the grace to see your face. Give us the awareness to see that we are seen by you. Open our eyes to the ways your face shines upon us, and may that transform us completely. Amen. Well, let us hold the bread together, remembering that in the upper room, Jesus said, this bread represents my flesh. And so we remember not only the ways we see God through the baby Jesus, but the ways we see God through what Jesus did for us. Remembering that this is given as a gift for us. Let us receive the
0: bread. Thank you.
1: And let us remember the cup that Jesus said, This represents that covenant I have with you, the covenant where I see you face to face. Let us receive together. And let us now respond in worship. If I can stretch you one more time, let's close our eyes just for this final moment. And can you try to let yourself be seen by God? The Apostle Paul believed that when everything gets pulled away, we'll see that God was always looking at us with a sense of love, affection, joy, and delight. Apostle John believed that when we see clearly, we'll see God's love had always been upon us. So just in whatever way you can do it, can you allow yourself to be seen by the God who sees you? Can you allow the shine of God's face to come upon you? God, in this moment, I pray that as we travel through these next three to four weeks, not only as a church together, but just in all the things of life where we're going to hear Christmas songs playing everywhere and ads for presents everywhere, and we're going to see a thousand manger scenes between now and December 25th, I'm not not asking for us to not see that. I'm asking for us to see it for what it is. May, when we look at that little nativity scene, may we be able to join with the shepherds, join with the magi, and look into the face of God. And when we see that nativity scene, can we remember the gaze of the divine parent that looks down in love, whose face shines upon not only baby Jesus, but on every one of us. And all God's people said, well, if you're, whatever way you want to receive a benediction, if uh, I want to share this one from Numbers again that we've often heard, but I told you, I hope that when you hear the phrase, the face of God, or the face of God shining on you, it'll stir something in you. So, Let us listen to this ancient blessing and receive this at a benediction. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine God's face upon you. May God be gracious to you. May God turn God's face towards you and give you
0: peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Love you all.